The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Three mics, three poles, a new Pace Line format. But it's the same old fatty. Am I the rule or the exception? Is the nature of people obsessed with riding to also look at every ride through a competitive lens? Or am I just a dork? I will talk about unlicensed riding, and Patrick talks to a frame and fit icon who's making a comeback. There's a significant difference between having everything exactly right and having everything almost right. Uh, you know, our goal is to make sure that we're delivering. Um, something extra by making sure that everything is is exactly right. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty bringing you the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. Find us there and anywhere you listen to podcasts. If by chance you're using Apple Podcasts, take a moment to subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating with bonus seconds awarded if you leave us a review. Guys, this is episode 99 of The Pace Line. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. 100. I think we're going to make it to 100. In today's ride, we are talking about a farewell to USAC, excessively competitive riders, and the return of frame builder Ben Serrata. It's a three-interval show today, guys. That is three polls, kind of like focused topics. We're going to each take a turn, see if we can lead this ride right. It's a little bit of an experiment to see if we can get through this podcast with a little bit less rambling. With that said, let's get rolling. Hottie? Lead us out. Uh, when I got into organized riding, like about 20 years ago, I had no intention of racing, guys. I was enjoying the hell out of my road bike, and it just seemed kind of silly to ride in circles for an hour. I had been doing <laughs> some hard group rides, including some practice grids, but figured, eh, that was it. The LAX Circuit Race is an annual spring-sanctioned race held right down the street from my house. I went there to support members of my new club, South Bay Wheelman. The leader of the race team, Gordon Carr, a guy I really liked, who helped me get some speed in my legs, said if I wanted to enter the Cat 5 race, he would give me a jersey. At first, I stuck to my crit mantra, no riding in circles for competition. But as I watched the fields go rushing by and listened to the announcer call out rider names, something overcame me. And the next thing I knew, I was at the registration table, filling out a one-day license and plunking down 20 bucks. That was it. Over the last 20 years, there have been road races, time trials, stage races, track events, cross-country throwdowns, and too many crits to count. I even won a few, including a state championship jersey in the team time trial. Most of my races over the last 20 years have been with USA Cycling. My number, 207-423. But <laughs> something has happened recently. I have been signing up for fewer and fewer sanctioned events. Some of it is boredom with the courses. Some of it is interest in gravel and adventure riding. 
and some of it is being tired of being talked down to at the start line by USA cycling officials. All of that has brought me to this point and this topic. I have no plans to renew my racing license for 2018. Since 2012, USA Cycling has seen about a 17% decline in membership. We could blame that on all sorts of things, of course. The aforementioned expansion of gravel and Grand Fondos, too much focus on racers by USA Cycling, I mean, the like the elite top-end racers, and a lack of understanding about what license fees go for. USAC has tried to reverse this trend. Derek Bouchard-Hall, the CEO, last year introduced a new license tier for the non-racer, they are also approaching organizers of large events about becoming part of the USA cycling calendar. But what do they do? Where do they go? And why would Hottie not get a license this year? Quick question, guys. Do either of you hold USA cycling licenses? Why or why not, Fatty? I will tell you that I am a proud non-holder of a USAC license ever. Um, I've never registered for it. I've done the one-day registration many times. It hasn't been a moral principle for me. It has simply been that I've never seen any particular value. There's never been an obvious what's in it for me Mm -hmm. uh, reason to to sign up. Uh, I I don't plan to race so often that I am – uh, that I am going to upgrade to Cat 3 or Cat 2 or, it, 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 well, to Cat anything. I don't even know what the cats are or the mountain biking equivalents. I just don't care. Um, so I've never signed up hmm. and uh, really don't see any reason why I ever would. And, How about you, Patrick? Yeah, Patrick, I know the answer for you. You you are a longtime USAC license holder, but you still hold a license now. No, I dropped mine after the 2012 season. Haven't picked it up since. Uh, and I know that from their standpoint, from their view, uh, Eldon and I are both uh, prime targets at, at you know what they want to bring into the fold. They want uh, every event organizer, you know, that uh, Fatty, every, every single event that you do, they want them under the USAC fold. Uh, so that you have to have a license to be able to race those events. And all the events that I do, the grasshoppers, the bike monkey stuff, they want all of that to be under USAC as well, uh, so that I have to carry a license. And the funny thing is, you know, when you talk about value added, you know, what happens to a grasshopper with, uh, you know, with... Uh, officials and and that sort of thing and it's like suddenly you've got courses that can't possibly happen and you know mm-hmm. the the standard rules of like you know stopping at stop signs and whatnot no they're going to want a rolling enclosure and so these events simply wouldn't happen otherwise um so when they try to position it as well we'll give you better insurance and we'll give you better this and we'll give you more of that it's like no you'll just simply kill the events that i like participating in so mm-hmm. I don't have a need for what they're offering. I'm not hostile to them, but they're not going to make my life better, so I don't carry the license. Well, I have a couple of suggestions. I'm going to play uh, CEO of USA Cycling, if you will. I'm going to try to wear that hat. This is not CEO, but just if I were dropping things in the suggestion box, I mm-hmm. would go with a couple of other things. First of all, embrace the two ends of participation in the sport. The first-timers and the old-timers, a.k.a. masters. With the kids, 
You got to find your way into schools or playgrounds or video games and show them cycling is cool despite our weird clothes. And use those pros and Olympians that they have access to to help sell the sport to the younger generation. On the, on the other end of the spectrum, Masters, uh, this group needs to become more of a priority for USAC. As they age, they hopefully have more money to spend on the sport, that is Masters, and are smarter in the saddle. They're a better example, if you will. But if you treat them the same as a Cat 3 racer, crazy, out of control, and those those folks will just abandon you. The Masters will. you got to kind of prop them up a little bit and say, hey, we value you, we thank you for being around for so long, and we hope you will help us sell and promote our sport down the road. Yeah, in regards, Patrick, you brought this up, uh, regarding gravel events and Grand Fondos, I mean, it's obvious why USA Cycling would like to be in there. There's, you know, an opportunity for them to sell themselves and maybe make a little money. Uh, the thing that they should be selling uh, probably is scoring and enforcement. I mean, when you plunk down 150 to 200 bucks at one of these rides or races, you want to make sure that uh, in addition to well-stocked rest stops and a party at the end, that the scoring is accurate. And, and USAC has some expertise here. They know how to, to score a race. And then uh, the other area where they can obviously be of help to organizers is cutting off and finding cheats, whether that be drug cheaters right. or people cut courses. Again, USAC has experience in here, and that ought to be a way that they maybe can uh, get get some organizers to come their way and say, look, we can help you out in this area because, look, just at what Dirty Kansas was, I think last year there was allegations of cheating, um, problems on the course, and USAC can be of some assistance there. I mean, Patrick, maybe it's with a lighter hand. Maybe it's not that they come in, take over, walk around in their in their denim shirts and act like they own the place, but instead kind of work in the background a little more, more and help these organizers. Do you think there's an opportunity there for them? Well, they need to lead the way by demonstrating that they have that capacity without saying, you know, hey, you should come to us and then we'll exercise a lighter hand. Show us first that you can exercise, you know, a lighter touch and then maybe people would be willing to have that conversation. But honestly, you know, when you talk about timing and accuracy, uh, Carlos Perez, the CEO of Bike Monkey, he wrote all the code for his own timing system. And that's the timing system that was used for the California Enduro Series, I believe, the last two years. Um, so it could be argued that his timing system is better than anything that USAC has. Um, so again, I, you know, I don't see what they have to offer. They don't do enough testing of master's athletes, uh, to eliminate the scourge of doping there. And I don't want to be out on a course with a bunch of guys who are causing me to wonder whether or not they are doping. That's not a race I want to be at. That's what I love about the grasshoppers is, you know, I keep telling people, look, I do a grasshopper. You can't beat me. You may come in ahead of me but you're not going to beat me. I'm there to race against myself. And in that regard, it's just about the only setting I know of in cycling where we get the similar personal challenge that marathoners and other runners and then triathletes get. You know, a triathlete land, uh, lines up for uh, the Ironman or, you know, any other distance for that matter, for the most part. Most of those participants are out there just to find out how good a job they can do. Mm -hmm. What do they have within themselves? And the entirety of USAC 
all of those events, except for the individual time trials, are really about beating others. You get dropped in a crit, what happens? You pull. You know, that there's no opportunity to find out how strong you were. Uh, that's antithetical to what a criterion is about. Road races, you know, unless you're with the pack, you kind of weren't really in the race anyway. So it's a different beast. I'm okay with what that beast is. I just don't need that in my life anymore. Fatty, I yeah. still have a chance to get a license in 2018. It's not over. I could still sign up. I'm sure USAC <laughs> will take my money at any time. Uh, and they do continue to send me emails asking if I want to take advantage so I can still get the 2017 rates. Uh, but for now, my friend, uh, I'm with you and with Patrick. Uh, I'm going to be licensed-less in 2018. Wow. The pace line is an entirely free, uh, USAC-free zone. <laughs> But with no malice, you know? No, Again, no, no, no malice, just no, no. interest either. Uh, very nice poll, Hadi. Thanks so much. My turn to take a poll, I guess. And what I want to talk about is something a little bit less official, but something just as important. That is riders who just can't stop attacking. That is riders who are out there on the road and who needlessly attack other riders. And I have a story to tell you. I want to talk about what makes these guys ticks, what makes them do what they do. Uh, last weekend, the Hammer and I went to St. George for three days, some big base miles in the southern Utah desert. And on day one, we had a century planned, about 6,500 feet of climbing, a good winter ride. It was a perfect day, tights, long sleeves, no jackets. A headwind was coming around Gunlock, but you know, nothing we couldn't deal with, especially since it was an out and back route, which means... Headwind early in the ride, tailwind later in, on the way back. Awesome. At about mile 65, we stopped at a convenience store to pee, get a Coke, and have some convenience store blueberry danishes. The hammer ate half of hers, I ate all of mine, and the other half of hers. Because, of course, that's my way. So we pulled out of the parking lot, back onto the road, and there's a rider heading in the same direction as us, and he slots himself in between the two of us, giving me time to notice he has shaved legs, a Cervelo R5 frame, and a black and pink uh, skin suit. I'm going to guess he was about 25 years old, putting him at almost exactly half my age. Then he did what I somehow knew he would do. He attacked. He stood up on a little uphill, swung around, and pulled around, hammering as hard as he could until he was about 50 feet uh, ahead of us. He looks back and he gives us the look. Seeing he was way ahead of us, he continued to press on. I was drafting behind the hammer at this moment and I look at her and she shakes her head as if she was saying, whatever, have fun. And I agree. We are here to ride, not race. Then on the next little incline, I see something's changed. He's closer, then quite a bit closer. And I said to the hammer, he'll be drafting off us in under two minutes. And sure enough, he was. Uh, three of us uh, get close to Gunlock Road, which is where the headwind had been hitting us on the way in. And I pulled around the hammer and said, let's do one mile pulls, swapping the mile markers. I'll go first. And this is guys, one of the nicest things about having a trainer partner who is also your wife. Uh, for the last eight years, she really understands what I say 
when I say it, I can speak in shorthand like that. She knew what I meant. And what I meant was, let's hurt this surveillance writing, E-tap shifting, pink and black skin suiting guy who attacks on then drafts. So we <laughs> <laughs> we turned on the gun lock. The wind had shifted, meaning that we now had a headwind both directions, which seems like it shouldn't be possible, but I don't know any writers who haven't had it happen. But the hammer and I go to work. To his credit, the skin suit guy held on for the first couple of rotations. He stayed in the back, never taking a turn, but he also didn't drop off. But then there was a sharp little incline for a couple hundred yards. By the time we get to the top of it, there's a gap. I'm going to take another turn if that's okay, I say to the hammer. And she correctly understood that to mean, I'm going to make sure this guy can't get back on our wheel. So by the time we had done two more rotations, he is out of sight. And I felt awesome. You know, 50-year-plus guy passing a 20-something guy. And then the hammer flatted. Southern Utah desert riding means Southern Utah desert thorns littering the road shoulders. Now, normally, I let the hammer change her own flats. But this time, I stepped in and I changed it for her because I was on a mission. I do not want this guy to catch us, I'm telling the hammer. And he didn't. We had the tube swapped out in record time. We never saw the guy again. Victory complete. So that night, eating out with friends, I tell our friends the story I just told you guys. And the moral was something along the lines of guys who attack and raise strangers are complete jerks. And that's when the hammer said, I don't know what ride you were on, but that is not what happened. (laughs) She did not see a guy who attacked off the bat. She saw a rider who is cruising along at a faster rate than a couple of uh, 50-year-olds who take a while to get back up to speed and get our legs warmed up after a nice long rest. She didn't see a guy who looked back as if to taunt us. She saw a guy who looked back to see if we were going to catch up and join him on and do a rotating pace line. She didn't see a guy who wanted to crush us. She saw a guy who wanted to form a group in battling a pretty rough headwind. She didn't see a guy who wouldn't take a turn. She saw a guy who wasn't allowed to take a turn. In fact, she can test my memory of what he was wearing. That was no skin suit, she tells me. And she may be right. So as it turns out, while this is a story about riders who turn every ride into a race, it turns out that I'm the grudge-finding, plot-creating, goofball-attacking rider. I am, in fact, the punchline to my own joke. So... Here's my question for you two. Am I the rule or the exception? Is the nature of people obsessed with riding to also look at every ride through a competitive lens? Or am I just a dork? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Food for thought. Right. I may have to read that again. And I'm glad I have your, your, your script before me. And what I want to know is, am I the rule or the exception? Is the nature of people obsessed with riding to also look at every ride through a competitive lens? Is the nature of people obsessed with riding? So obsessed with riding is the key to that that question, is it not? Yes. I mean, and I, I we all know you're obsessed. Guy. You're obsessed with your weight. You're obsessed with your wheels. You're obsessed with your bikes. And you're obsessed <laughs> with other riders. And you're obsessed with your lovely wife. Yes. Uh, guilty on all counts. So your problem is not being competitive or seeing through through a competitive lens. Your problem is the obsession. 
I'm obsessed with everything. There's probably some truth in that. Did you intend for this to be a, a psychology session or a, or a discussion? <laughs> hey, I, I'll, I'll take anything I can get, guys. It's to, like, I am willing to admit that I have a get, problem. Fatty, guilty as charged. I've done the same thing you have. I've been annoyed by people who have pushed away, pulled away, uh, given me a look, all of that, who have not paid attention to the the pace that's being set. Um, I, I've done that too. Um, and I've responded in, in a similar fashion as you have. Um, you know, you try to keep your cool, but, I, and even though I don't have a, a USAC license right now, I, I still find <laughs> myself in, in competitive situations like that, whether it be out on a small group ride or alone or, you know, in a pack of 100, it just happens. How about you, Patrick? Out of the three of us, you race the least. And I get the sense that you are the most, uh, I guess, the the most non, I, I wouldn't say the most non-competitive, but at least the least, um, uh, I don't know, obsessed and anal yeah, about you, you uh, need to just stop comp- right there. competition. You, no, <laughs> you, you got to just, just stop because... I mean, we're supposed to be honest here, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's the thing. When I was 25, uh, or probably more like 26, 27, I was the young guy. I was exactly that guy. I did it. I didn't know not to do it, so I did it. Um, and then I spent a lot of years, just like you, seeing people who you know, seeing intent in people that was probably not there. And then I started to appreciate people like the hammer who could see a potential friend around every corner. Um, People with no malice aforethought, uh, people, you know, with all the same foibles as me and therefore just as innocent as I may or may not be. And so what I really want is to be the hammer, not so much the hammer hammer, but at least an attitude and how I, you know, how I view the world and my ability to, uh, to find new friends in unusual circumstances. That's who I want to be. That's who I'm, I'm working to be because I've spent way too many years seeing people, uh, trying to crush me when all they were doing was riding along. (laughs) A, a good advice for everyone, try to be more like the hammer. And uh, I will win brownie points for making that the end of my poll. Two down, one to go. I'd say that the pace line is ready to pull off for a minute, maybe get a drink, get uh, get a little bit of nutrition. And then Patrick has an interview with Ben Serrata. That's coming up right after this quick break. 50 minutes of racing, 70 riders on the start line. Riders, you will start on the whistle. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, 
and nicotine use. The amount of writing you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. We're back, bringing our cadence back up, starting the final poll of episode 99. Patrick, up to the front with you. Yeah. So, hey, guys, Ben Serrata is back, the former head of Serrata Competition Bicycles, a frame operation that first opened in 1972, has recently opened a new operation, Serrata Design Studio. Fans of Serrata will probably recall that the New York-based manufacturer closed in 2013 after it was bought and merged with blue competition cycles and mad fiber wheel sets under the Divine Cycling Group. I'm not even going to go into the ugliness of that demise. Hmm. But anyway, he more recently did some consulting work for City Bike, the bike share program in New York, and Serrata decided to return to the bench to produce handmade steel and aluminum bikes. Now, I've known Ben since the early, early 1990s, And I've always found him really bright and engaging. So when I heard about this, I couldn't wait to connect with him on Skype. So Ben, it's great to speak with you. It's been a little while. Uh, Last time we were in contact, it was, um, shall we say, not super uh, pleasant uh, circumstances with the uh, demise of Serrata. But you're back and uh, you're at the bench. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now uh well first of all patrick uh thanks it's uh, it's always a pleasure to have a chance to to talk to you and and um and so i'm, I'm i welcome the opportunity and and uh, yeah with the last time we, we chatted um it wasn't the best of times but it had nothing to do with with you or i or the place we were <laughs> in general um uh, so what 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 uh so i i have i have several things going on i guess i would say i'm um, I have, uh, two, uh, lines of, of bicycles, which, uh, first in first intros on both are, are road bicycles probably doesn't surprise many people. And, uh, one model, which is called a moto mio, which, uh, means in my way in Italian, right. um, is, uh, is a, is a steel bicycle. Uh, but it's, it's not, um, it's not a tip of the hat to, uh, um, making something old seem new it's it's uh it's a freshly designed uh updated tube set uh produced for me by 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 my buddies in italy at columbus and um uh principally most of the the amoto mios that that i'm making are for disc brakes um and uh, my my favorite build is uh is disc brake with uh with sram wireless etap because it's just so nice and clean and and it is it's uh, is a thoroughly modern bike. It happens to be steel, um, and I I chose steel for a couple of reasons. One of which is is I, I really wanted to get personally get my hands dirty again. Um, you know, I I started out um, 
making bikes start to finish myself and then uh, one by one adding adding people uh, to the to the team to do that. Um, and I and I uh, you know supervised and designed bikes out of out of other materials as well, but uh, I really just wanted to to make a bike again. So I um, I went I found a workbench to use because I don't have my my own workbench anymore, and, uh, wow. and worked uh, built the the first Emoto Mio um, uh, out of uh, Frank Waddleton's shop in in Bellas Falls, Vermont. And um, and and have uh, have done a couple dozen um, Amoto Mios. Um, what's featured on our our website now, though, is the the Amoto Mio uh, version C18, which is uh, a TIG welded bike, and uh, which doesn't take uh, quite as much uh, sweat and toil as the Philip Bray's bikes. Uh, so I'm doing so. The Amoto Mio is a is a modern road bike, and they're made to order. Um, from the ground up, mm-hmm. and uh, but then I also have a, a second line of bike which is called Duetti, and um, you know, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't set out to name bikes uh, with Italian uh, or European, <laughs> Italian or French names, but I, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm look for the names that mean something to me and 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 uh, trigger. Uh, an emotional reaction in me, and and the the concept behind uh, duetti is is just is is fairly pure. Uh, it's it's uh, a great bike ride um, is only possible when there's this wonderful relationship between um, human and and the machine, uh, just the same way that a a, a pair of of musicians will play together. It's in a, in a duet. And and duetti is just the is the plural of of a duet. So it's the idea is that uh, this is a relationship that you do again and again and again in these in these little adventures with your bike. And um, the duetti is is my first foray into um, into semi production um, outside of North America. Um, it's actually not my first foray into semi production bikes because in in Serata's heyday we actually produced many bikes in in um in pre-configured sizes sure and uh so it's it's not a a new concept uh and and the duetti is is uh is made out of uh, 6069 uh, aluminum alloy uh which is the uh which is the cat's meow of of aluminum alloys for building bikes because it's has uh, a bit of vanadium in it and um, and it was actually having decided to build a bike out of aluminum that led me to find the right factory. And the right factory is not in North America um, because that material is just not generally um, available here. And um, so I, I it led me in search of the best place to make this kind of bicycle, which happened to be uh, in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the Duetti is. Is made in eleven sizes, uh, um, based on my, you know, many years of making, um, designing uh, thousands and thousands of, of custom uh, bicycles here, and so the, the the sizes are really they're true size differences. It's what led me to eleven sizes. Is okay. Well, what's important is is not just um, that the rider can fit on top of the bike properly mm-hmm. the bike is 
fit underneath the rider uh, in, in good proportion so that, um, that you have uh, all the handling virtues that, that, you would, that you would hope to get out of a, out of a custom bike. And um, anyway, so that's that's the second line, Duetti. And they're they're uh, while they're pre-configured in terms of uh, frame sizes, um, we uh, we assemble them to order. So uh, we'll we'll choose the the frame out of the eleven uh, sizes that 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 we can uh, create the best build for for an individual, you know, with uh, with the other parts. So they're not taking uh, taking receipt of a bicycle with uh, a stem on it that may or may not be correct. You're actually doing the rest of the fitting there uh, relative to the measurements that you've gotten from the rider. C- correct. Yeah. I mean, we we. Um, I mean, that, that, to me, that's that was a a point of differentiation that that is just not an opportunity, but it's it's. It's something that's been conveniently brushed aside a little bit <laughs> in yeah. the in the world of of um, uh, internet ordering uh, bicycles, and um, so it's 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 pretty critical uh, that you have the right stem length and and the right seat posts and the right saddle. So we've we've you know, the, the goal was not to make this complicated. I mean, I, you're you're a cyclist. You've been riding bikes for a long time and and um, there's a significant difference between having everything exactly right and having everything almost right. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and so, uh, you know, our goal is to make sure that we, you know, we're 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 delivering um, something extra by making sure that everything is is exactly right. Neat. So it's a bit of extra work, um, but um, you know, it's that that's me. <laughs> well, but you know, let's let's pay a little homage, you know, to your past. I mean, the Serata Size Cycle was the first device of its type in the industry worldwide. You know, uh, I mean, there had been some interesting attempts at at offering things like that before, but you know, the Size Cycle not only allowed for uh, seat tube elongation, but top tube elongation. You had an adjustable stem there. You could vary the seat tube angle. Um, you know, I remember when I was working for bicycle guide, I had one of those in my garage for a year that I used for not, not so much perfecting my own fit for, but for experimenting with what happened with other fits as I was moving from bike to bike, it became a really interesting reference point for me. Um, and then, you know, there was all the other work you did on sizing and fit, um, with the, uh, forgive me, uh, the Serata, how did you put it? The Serata School. what? It, uh, Institute? The, yeah, SICI, the, there we the go. Serata International Cycling Institute. Yes. And yeah, well, fit, fit, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just, I, I, I want to say that, yes, you're offering a, a, a bike in 11 sizes, but as I see it, you know, if I'm going to trust a manufacturer to say, these are the 11 sizes I'm going to do, I kind of give you a little more credence on that than maybe some other manufacturers out there. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, number one and and two, it's just, it, it is the way to, it's the way to do it. It would be, it would be nice if we, you know, if, if five sizes were enough, um, (laughs) and, and, but, but it's, it's not, it's not if, if you're promising, um, you know, an exceptional experience. 
I enjoy the opportunity of participating in somebody's cycling life because I, I, I enjoy mine. And, and when everything's working really well, it's just it's, it's it's a joy. It's a challenge. It's all the things that that all the reasons that we we ride and love to ride. The point of doing this is is if uh, I feel that there's a way that I can I can elevate elevate the experience a notch or two. You know, it, it's funny that I, I, I never, I never got into uh, bike fitting to the degree that I, that I ultimately did because I thought it would be a way of increasing business, but uh, it was always just about delivering the best value possible, which is a, an odd, some people find that word odd coming from me, you know, as, as somebody who made a lot of bicycles that sold for much more than than ten thousand dollars, but it's still value to me is is um, you, you get a hundred percent benefit from the money that you've spent on 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 getting this bike. Bike fitting endeavors were really always about trying to deliver on a promise of of something that's really optimized, you know, to the individual. Been an interesting uh, thing watching that, and actually, I, I I'm still fascinated by it. it. You know, the 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 science and understanding has uh, continued to evolve. Very cool. Now, you mentioned that the Amodo Mio is available both TIGD and Philip-raised. Do you have some sense of how often someone will choose one over the other? And is there a difference in what they will cost? Uh, there's a significant difference in what they cost. So I, I recently, I've, I've actually um, had direct conversations with, with some of the clients who were, were on the fence. And, I've, and I, my answer to them is, Unless you want to spend extra money, uh, quite a bit of extra money, to know that I personally sweated and toiled uh, for extra hours making your bike, or or you just want to know that there's bronze um, underneath the paint, go for the TIG welded bike <laughs> because you get it much sooner. <laughs> you'll save money. You'll get it much sooner, and and the ride is the same, and which is true. It, it the the turn delivery turnaround on on the TIG welded bikes is going to be in the eight to 10 week range generally. And they're a couple thousand dollars less expensive than the Philip Braze bike. And the Philip Braze bikes, my answer on delivery is, is I absolutely will deliver the bikes sometime within reason, but I, you know, I can't even put it on an accurate timetable. Cause I, I love doing the bikes. And I'm going to continue to do the bikes because it's, it's meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I also, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to do many of them. I, you know, I have, I have these two lines of bikes and a Moto Mio that as a brand that as, as I develop product, a Moto Mio represents the made to order piece of business made to order from the ground up. Duetti, as I expand and develop that, that will be the, the, uh, semi-production bikes that are assembled to order. So there's two bikes now, but I have other projects in mind. I just have a limit to the amount of time that I can spend on making a frame, you know, from the ground up. So I love to do it. But uh, if you, um, as I said, again, if, if, if you're happy to have me design the bike and do some of the work on it, but, um, but have the bike in a predictable time frame and save some money, <laughs> go, for the, go for the TIG welded version. Gotcha. And now with the Duetti, is this something that you're going to stock a certain number of frames at your facility and then what, they go out for paint and then get built up and shipped or how will that work? 
So uh, we have inventory as of a couple weeks ago. So we have um, inventory here. They're actually, uh, because the, the, the production painting in Taiwan is um, a very high quality and very efficient and very affordable. I just had all the bikes painted there actually. And uh, so that we, we are offering a custom finish option. And, and in those cases, we're, uh, we're sanding down the top coat of the frame and, and respraying them here. It, it actually, having the frames painted before coming over ensures that they're packaged and handled better. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's any uh, irregularities, they'll find them there rather than us finding them here. So it's, it's, um, it, it serves a couple purposes. Have, hey, I'm going to interrupt this just for a second, Patrick. I just realized my dog is snoring very loudly <laughs> behind me. <laughs> and, 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 are, are you hearing that on your I, end? If I actually heard a little something, but it's okay. We've had dogs okay. park. We've had leaf blowers. Okay. Nothing's killed us yet. So. Okay. Well, then I'm going <laughs> to let them snooze on. I just Yeah. Let, let sleeping dogs okay. lie. So Okay. Okay, so you get the bikes here, you assemble them, they get shipped out. This is a fair amount of work. I love the fact that you're at the bench again, but there's not enough Ben Serrata to do all this. So how many helpers do you have? Well, um, it's, a, it's a small team right now. In, in terms of hands, actual hands-on helpers, it's, it's, uh, right now it's, it's myself and Sean Camp who are the, the full-timers. And we, we have a, a small team in waiting uh, locally if we have overflow. I'm keeping this, trying to build this business uh, uh, light and nimble. And our expectation is to um, not promise the world great service and not try to deliver bikes to the world. We're, it's a small business that obviously I'd love to grow, but we're, we're going to take it a step at a time. So it's better that we sell out and then, and have to disappoint with a bit of a delay than, than end up with too much product that we, that, that we, that we have to blow out. Sure, so, um, sure. I'm enjoying every aspect of it. You know, it's, it's really with both lines, every little detail counts, every, you know, they, they all, they all matter. Every little thing means something to me. I can't, st it will completely ruin a ride to me if I'm, if I hear something squeaking, you know, or, or, or whatever. And you're the um, only rider ever who said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know that the bikes are right because Sean and I were, we were installing a headset in a, in a Moto Mio yesterday and the the headsets which I had made for the Emoto Mios, the diameter of the head tube is different. It's uh, it's a it's a forty millimeter head tube. I didn't want function always comes first, but form form is right behind it. And uh, it was uh, one of the things on on a lot of modern bikes, especially a lot of modern metal bikes. I, I just I, I can't stand it when the head tube is this huge beer can on the front of something that could otherwise have been somewhat elegant. Every, every aspect of the Omoto Mio is scaled. The tubes are, you know, a larger version of the old Colorado concept, but they're not huge. And, and yet our steering column on our fork is, it's a, uh, it's a fully integrated tapered steering column. That's an inch and a quarter to an inch and eighth, because that's the size that makes the most sense for, for a road bike. Anyway, so we, when I decided to make, um, you know, one Amoto Mio, because it was initially I was I wasn't sure if there were 
was going to be more than the one I wanted to make myself. I spent a fair bit of money on tooling because I just wanted the bike this right. And mm -hmm. uh, so we have our own headsets, Amotomio headsets that that are designed for this size head tube, and that uh, they have uh, an Amotomio uh, graphic in them. And I, you know, I realized after getting the headsets that. Well, lining them up is a pain in the ass because you don't want the logo to be sort of turned to the side. And so it's little details like that become a part of the signature of what the, the bike is. And so I, I enjoy all of that. And for the time being, it's good that it's just the two of us and Sean is equally committed. And, uh, and when there needs to be a third person or a fourth person or a fifth person, we'll make sure that we add the right person and the training ahead of the volume okay. so we can maintain a, a level of consistency and quality. Very cool. Now, it's my suspicion that people will go to you to purchase a bike because they want a bike from Ben Serrata. And to some degree, uh, I suppose this is a, a matter that's up for some consideration and maybe even debate, for some of those people, I expect that price will not be a big issue, but in my duties, I've got to ask you, so where did, where did the duetes start price wise and where do you think you top out? So right now the, the duetti, we, we have two parts packages uh, with the duetis um, and the, the higher price bike is around $5,600. Um, okay. That's, that's rounded. And uh, that is, uh, with SRAM uh, ETAP and SRAM, the full red hydraulic group. So uh, there, we, we don't uh, substitute something a little less expensive here and there. So it's uh, SRAM ETAP uh, hydraulic disc, uh, has a zip uh, carbon ha uh, handlebar and, and seat post. Anyway, this, so that's that, that's, that, that's that bike. And then we have uh, one that is specced with a, a chorus mechanical but hydraulic disc brake group. And that's about $1,000 less. And uh, we actually originally planned to have a third tier uh, that would have been about $1,000 less again and may get there this year. Right, right now, we're just we're focused on those, on those two models. By the way, when you were asking about the number of people involved, I know this is jumping back and forth a little bit. So the TIG welded Amotomios, I'm not doing the TIG welding. And so I'm, I'm working with uh, two different uh, builders locally to, uh, to get those bikes done. And, and, of course, the factory in Taiwan, I'm not TIG welding the aluminum bikes either. So there are more people behind me, um, uh, of course. Sure. And so uh, on the day-to-day -day operations, though, there's Sean and I. Very cool. Wow. And so folks who want to check this out and uh, learn more, they can go to serratadesignstudio.com. And Ben, will you be at NABS? Will I get to see you next month? Yes, you will. Uh, we'll, we'll be there. Um, and uh, we'll have samples of uh, both models of bikes. And, and uh, I, I look forward to it. And Excellent. I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, likewise. Um, I'm not going there with any expectations, but I, other than getting to meet a lot of people and talk to the, hopefully some interested uh, consumers and introduce folks to the new me. Excellent. Well, Ben, I'm really excited to see you there. I'm excited to see the bikes. I'm certainly pleased for the many fans of Serata to have you back in the industry again. So welcome back. Well, thanks very much, Patrick. See you soon. Again, that was Ben Serata of Serata Design Studio, which recently opened its doors and is already shipping bikes.
So guys, when I first became a bike nerd back in the 1980s, I worked for a Serata dealer. And I can tell you there wasn't another road bike on the planet that I coveted the way I wanted a Serata Colorado. Back then, the tubing was sourced from Memphis-based True Temper, which was just down the road from our shop. And they could lay claim to having their own tube set, something that at the time, I think only Colnago could also claim. I have to confess that the idea of buying an Emodomio is a fantastic distraction. I've encountered a number of reborn, rebranded, rebirthed brands. Rarely do they ever capture that special something that they had the first time around. You know, it's it's like Journey getting back together without Steve Perry on vocals or Steve Smith on drums. It just ain't the same. But with Serata Design Studio, this is everything I wanted in a road frame. Custom geometry, proprietary tube set, and a master at the bench. So the question I want to put to you guys is, what is it you look for in connecting with a brand? And let's start with the guy with the garage full of carbon fiber. Fatty? So two things. Uh, first, an answer to your question, and then I have a second observation to make on that. Uh, what gets me excited about a brand is really just the bike itself. Um, I have uh, very rarely been in love with a particular uh, with a particular brand. Ibis would be the exception. Um, and maybe that has to do with the fact that my first really great uh, bike and bike brand was Ibis. I the first time I rode the Leadville 100, uh, you know, have to get the, the you know that the name of that race in there. Uh, wish they'd sponsor us. Um, <laughs> is uh, I I rode it. I rode the Leadville 100 on the brand new Ibis uh, bow tie. If you you know if that brings back any memories, sure. Uh, traded that for the Ibis tie Mojo, which remains the only bike that I have ever regretted. Uh, selling or trading in for you know whatever my next toy was, the fact is I, I don't I don't establish a lot of connections to bikes, but titanium has a little bit of something there, and I do have to say, and this is my second the second observation I wanted to make, Patrick. When I first got into bikes, the first bike shop I went to that I you know that I spent time hanging around in it was called Frank's Bikes. Um, they were a Serata dealer. And the owner, uh, uh, when you know, whenever we came, he would be talking about the Serata that he had on order. I've never seen someone so excited, or frankly, wait so long <laughs> to get a bike. Um, and you know, maybe the waiting was part of it. The, you know, you had to wait a long time to get a Serata. The queues were long, and then there were delays too. Um, and so there, there is definitely a halo effect. Listening to Serata talk about uh, his his new enterprise and that he's keeping it small and keeping it really a a, a passion project very clearly, that uh, makes me super happy. Um, you know, so while I am a guy who tends to treat bikes basically as commodities, it makes me happy that there are folks like uh, like Serata who don't. Cool, hottie. Yeah. Yes, uh, my brand connection is kind of a, a bookended story. When I first started having to buy bikes, um, I was brand—I would say I was brand conscious. Gary Fisher was my brand for 
a mountain bike. I was well aware of Keith Bontrager and his work, although I didn't own one of his bikes. A good buddy of mine did. In fact, one of my biggest influences, he did. So I was well aware of him. And then the Landshark, my first cross bike was a Landshark, which is John Swada. Uh, he's a local LA guy now up in Oregon. I certainly connected with that brand and his idea. In between then, way back then, and now, I just, I, I bought, I, I used any brand. It didn't, I saw bikes more as tools, as, as things that delivered me to finish lines or to top of mountains. I really didn't identify with what was underneath me. And I also just rode what, whatever they gave me or whatever I got at a discount, whether that be giant or specialized or whatever. Now I've come back again. I mean, my last two bike purchases, I think I've used some brand consciousness. I have an independent fabrication. I didn't buy it brand new. I bought it used, but I bought it off reputation. I now have a, a Fat Chance bike. He's got a similar story to Ben. Chris Chance does. He's a comeback guy. He's come back. He's relaunched his brand. His bikes are back out there. I bought my Fat Chance without ever seeing it, touching it, riding it. I took a leap of faith based on reputation and brand name. And so my story is kind of bookended in that way. And I, I do now associate bikes and brands much closer than I did say over the last 15 years. Very cool. It's interesting to me that you've got a Chris Chance and an Indy Fab, given that Indy Fab grew out of uh, the Fat Chance operation. Mm-hmm. So you you definitely have some uh, East Coast leanings at this point, my friend. I know. <laughs> I like that. West Coast guy with the, uh, East Coast leanings. I like it a lot. That's three good polls, guys. Patrick, tell us what are the podium-level pieces on Red Kite Prayer this week. Well, so there's been a whole lot of uh, apparel lately, given that it's cold and in some places wet as well. I've been doing some stuff. There have been a couple of pieces up uh, from Pearl Izumi. They have a new fabric they're working with. It's a, a fleecy fabric that gets a water resistant treatment called PI dry. And so I've recently done some tights from them as well as some thermal bib shorts. And also I'm pleased to say that RKP has a new contributor. Uh, Speaking of pedigree, this is someone who has some and he's done uh, two posts for us. Uh, One was a reworking of the lyrics of uh, to all the women I've loved before done as to all the bikes I've loved before. And then there's uh, a subsequent uh, essay actually about those bikes and for those who are familiar with uh, a fair amount of american cycling history they might even guess it who this guy is uh who is it i i I don't know (laughs) i'm not telling you're not you're gonna do all that lead up and no reveal yeah dude that's just mean well, I'm a mean guy. <laughs> Can okay. I look at your website? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, in that case, we're going to leave it there, closing this episode of the podcast with a mystery. One reminder, if you haven't subscribed to The Paceline, please do. Subscribe wherever you like, but find us on Apple Podcasts if you would. Take a moment to rate and review us. Thanks so much for listening to episode 99 of The Pace Line. Excuse me. I'll edit that.